0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: A very good morning to you from the very first Saturday breakfast show of the new academic year. Today, we are talking about self-care as we move into September, and we try and figure out how to find that elusive work-life balance as a teacher. Hey, very good morning to you on this saturday the 2nd of september 2023 from a cloudy and chilly gloucestershire uh well i say chilly it's 16 degrees which is warm um and lots of people are already talking about autumn uh pumpkin spice lattes are already out everywhere so i suppose you know it's not uh it's not unexpected that the temperatures are dropping, but as you know, if you are a long-time listener of the show, if you are a long-time friend of the show, you will know that I like this time of year the best. Um, I like it when the summer is over, don't get me wrong, I like the summer, mostly because I like the summer holiday, Um, but I do much, much prefer it when the sun goes away, uh, because as I have talked about before, on the show um, and as we will touch on a little bit today as we talk about self-care. Um, the sun does aggravate my depression. Um, I think I have seasonal affective disorder, I'm not not sure but I think, um, but not in the way that most people talk about it um, and there is now more research has finally gone into it. This idea that when people think about seasonal affective disorder they think about Um, sadness that comes with the autumn and winter as the sun goes away but there are actually lots of people a surprising number of people who are affected whose moods are affected negatively when the sun comes out by the heat by the light Um, so it is always nice for me uh, when the sun starts to go away when the clouds come in when the nights get longer um, i get very very excited at this time of year Tim has texted in good morning to you always nice to hear from Tim he is as I introduce him every week on the show um, a very long time friend of the show he was in fact my very first guest way way back in August 2022 Um, so I am so glad to hear from you Tim has said good morning from Kent good morning to Kent Um, he's got his croissant And his cafe latte ready. I am loving it. Uh, And he has welcomed the show back. Well, thank you very much. That was a longer break than I had intended. Um, You may remember in the last show before the summer, that was something like the 2nd of July. um, I told you that I would be taking a break. I was taking my summer holiday. I went off to the USA. Um, I spent uh, three weeks in... In Illinois, Um, had a lovely lovely time, came home again, I was home at the beginning of August with every intention of of coming back to you on a Saturday morning and then it just kind of didn't happen (laughs) and I took a bit of an extended break but I am really really glad to be back. Um, As I've said before, Saturday mornings um, are not the same for me when I am not here chatting away um, to what feels like myself Uh, Because I sit here in the Saturday morning breakfast studio um, with my laptop open, with my microphone there on the table, with the TV on, some ambience going, um, and I just sort of chat away. But I'm always, always so grateful, um, so surprised, but so grateful for the people who do listen in either live, um, as Tim does faithfully every single week, or on the replay. Um, Because it does mean a lot to me that you all think that what I have to say about teaching, about education, about children's rights, children's welfare, about literature, about language, about classics, you know, all the stuff that we talk about on the Saturday morning um, is worth listening to. So I do appreciate that very, very much. While we are on the topic of kind of admin and things, there is a slight change to The Breakfast Show this year. Um, I work in an independent school, um, as I've mentioned on the show before, and as most of you probably know, um, although you may not, I suppose, if you've never come into an independent school, um, if you don't have any context for an independent school in England, um, we teach on Saturday mornings. That is why our breaks tend to be a little bit longer. Um, So we do... The same number of days we have the same number of contact hours with our pupils, but because we do Saturday mornings as well, um we kind of take that time back by having slightly longer summers. Not all independent schools do that of course I am I am generalizing, but the vast majority particularly those with a boarding element uh, that my school has because of course having lessons on Saturday morning is a good way to keep your borders occupied um. So I haven't had to do Saturday mornings for a couple of years. I've been blessed by the timetable gods for the past couple of years. Um, And all of my lessons have been during the the traditional school week. But this year I am back to teaching Saturday mornings, uh, which means that I will be coming to you what is theoretically every other Saturday, um, but is in fact every other school Saturday. So we are... um, We're going to have a bit of an odd schedule on the Saturday morning breakfast show this year, but what you will do if you are interested, if you want to keep up with when there will be a show and when there will not be a show, um, I will pop a pinned tweet up later on for term one, so between now and the half-term holidays, so that you know when you can expect me, so that if you enjoy sitting and having your croissant and cafe latte, Um, with us, you will be able to check that pinned tweet which is going to go up later on so that you know when there will be a show and that um, my Twitter handle, in case you are not sure, is at Mr D Lester, M-R-D-L-E-S-T-E-R and that is all one word but like I've said I am super excited, super excited to be back today, to be chatting to you because this is my favourite thing in the world. I've said this to a few people that doing Teachers Talk Radio Having this platform, it, it's not only beneficial to me in that I get to share my ideas about education, that I have this platform to share my opinions and and to hopefully offer something back to education in my own little way, but also that it gives me the opportunity. It kind of forces me to think about lots of different things because you know you come up for a new concept for a show every single week. Um, last year, every couple of weeks this year it it's a lot of airtime <clears throat> that we need to fill and so there are all sorts of things that i've researched over the past year that i probably wouldn't have done if i hadn't needed a show topic there've been all sorts of changes to my classroom practice that probably wouldn't have happened because i wouldn't have done the research because i wouldn't have needed to come up with a show for you so I'm going to start the year with some gratitude, which, again, we're going to talk a little bit about later on Um, and say that I am very grateful to Teachers Talk Radio. Um, I am very grateful to Tom, who approached me uh, back at a uh, Teach Meet MFL Icons event. There we go. You can tell how long it's been since I've done this. I can't speak Um, and, and suggested that I become a presenter here because it has changed my practice for the better um, so so much. And so if you are a teacher and you have something to say and you like the sound of your own voice as much as I like the sound of mine, which let's be honest we're teachers, we do, um, and you are ever interested in, in being a guest on the show because the other thing that I really really enjoy is having the opportunity to meet new teachers. Um, I've met some wonderful people through um, through having this show. Um, I'm hoping to meet a couple of them in a few weeks time when I am talking at an event in Leeds. And so that will be really exciting to meet in person as opposed to just online. Um, do get in touch um, either with me If you specifically would like to be a guest on Saturday morning breakfast and we can sort that out Um, or with the official teachers talk radio account um, over on twitter because there are a whole host of shows at different times throughout the week that you are always welcome to be a guest on because we are always always interested in what everybody in our industry has to say
2: it's time for a fresh start to language learning Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: A wide range of media outlets have covered the ongoing issue of reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, or rack, and its use in buildings, including schools, leading to concerns around safety. The BBC reports that buildings at 52 schools in England were at risk of sudden collapse due to dangerous concrete. While safety measures have since been put in place at these schools because the situation was deemed critical, more than 100 others have also now been told to close areas with the concrete. These buildings were previously thought to be at less risk. The new guidance follows the collapse of a beam that it was thought to be safe. Head teachers are now making alternative plans just days before the start of the new academic year. Some pupils have been told they will be learning remotely, whilst others are being housed in temporary classrooms or even at other schools. The total number of confirmed schools affected in England is 156. The news has since triggered concerns in all three of the home nations. The Scottish government said it was trying to establish how many schools contain RAC, whilst in Wales investigations continue, although there have been no reports at present. The Northern Ireland dV said schools were being checked as a matter of urgency. Ministers in England have been facing media and having struggled to keep up with a range of questions being asked, including how fixing the issues caused by RAC will be paid for. Opposition MPs have pointed out that schools themselves already have issues with funding, and that local authorities have seen cuts in recent years, so finances may not be there at a local level. The DfE has also faced criticism for not publishing a list of schools affected, although it defended its actions saying parents should hear direct from the school itself, at least at first. A school in Southend which caters for pupils with physical and learning difficulties has contacted the BBC to outline the significant challenges it is facing, as the closure of its main building means staff and pupils cannot access essential special equipment. Whatever the outcome, it is certain that, for some pupils, this is the start of yet another, unusual, school year. Away from issues with buildings, Schools Week reports on plans to ensure all schools in England hold electronic registers which the Education Secretary will have direct access to. However, proposals to introduce thresholds at which penalty notices must be considered for unauthorised absences are paused. They were part of the currently shelved New Schools Bill. New rules are not expected to come into force until 2024. But it has been made clear that ministers see attendance as an area which must improve. More than half of parents who responded to the consultation on the plans for e-registers disagreed due to the possible punitive use of the data collected. Officials said it would be used to enable better early intervention. 92% of local authority workers and 85% of school staff who responded support the plan. The DfE will move forward with changes to simplify recording of attendance or absence. In total, 22.3% of pupils missed more than one in 10 sessions in the 2022 to 2023 academic year. This is compared to 22.5% in the year 21 to 22, despite significant government intervention. Prior to the pandemic, these rates sat between 10 and 13%. The TES reports that a group of watchdogs, including Ofsted, are jointly to carry out targeted inspections in schools where there is a risk of pupils being exposed to serious violence or exploitation. The inspections will happen in six unnamed local authorities and examine how police, social services and health services tackle serious youth violence. The focus will be on multi-agency interventions and could include interventions in schools, parks, shopping centres or specific streets where young people may be at risk. The team will include representatives from Ofsted, the Care Quality Commission, HMI of Constabulary, HMI of Probation Services, and each team will be led by an Ofsted Health and Social Care Inspector. Where a school is involved, they will be asked to show they have effective systems to identify children at risk of or subject to serious youth violence and children who are missing from school. The inspections will end in May next year. Full details of the report can be found on TES online. Finally, The Guardian reports that LEGO is to begin selling bricks coded with Braille to help blind and partially sighted children learn to read the touch-based alphabet. The Danish makers of the bricks have made specialist versions tested and developed by blind organisations across the globe. The bricks have been sent to a selection of schools free of charge since 2020, but now they will be available more widely. LEGO hopes the initiative will help parents, siblings and others share in learning Braille and to encourage play interactions between sighted children and visually impaired friends. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
1: massive shout out to lego there isn't that amazing and what a great idea to to actually print the braille onto the blocks so that while the children are handling them they can learn to read the alphabet i think that's a brilliant idea i think that's so clever i have used lego in my own practice um before not just when i was a primary teacher in stem because you kind of um you kind of assume that but i use lego quite often in my german lessons um, I tell my students that that German is a lot like Lego because German has very strict, very precise grammar rules, particularly in terms of sentence structure. And following those rules is a bit like following the instructions for putting a Lego kit together. And as long as you follow the instructions and you click all of your b- bricks into the right place, you can't really go wrong. Um, and then to kind of demonstrate that, I quite often will take bricks, um, write words on them and then have my students click them together into the sentences so that they can see how they can build up their sentences by following the rules, by following the, um, the traditions of the language um, and, and they can build something cool. It's always quite fun to have an in-class competition to see who can build a, the most complex sentence who can build the most colourful sentence, who can build the tallest sentence, You know, however you want to do it, um, in order to make it a bit more tactile, but to show how language slots together um, and, and to show how German is kind of steadfast and controlled by its rules. That it doesn't have quite the same flexibility as some of the other languages. And conversely, you can go completely the other way um, Classics, Latin, has a long-standing relationship with Lego. Of course, Lego is a Latin word, um, and many of us in the Classics community love Legonium, which is an account that posts stories um, made of Lego minifigs um, in Latin. Um, the stories themselves are not made of Lego minifigs, just in case that wasn't clear. They are used to illustrate the stories. Um, And and of course, Latin has a ridiculously flexible sentence structure to the extent where you can pretty much put any word at any point in the sentence that you would like to. Um, Verbs normally come at the end. Uh, We normally put the things that are most important in the sentence towards the end. But generally, you can be incredibly flexible. And again, you can do the same thing. As with German, you can say, right, who can build me a very colorful sentence by being creative with their word order, by taking these bricks that I have written on. Um, And so I think that Lego actually, not sponsored, but Lego, if you would like to sponsor me, that would be amazing. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter, at Mr. D. it's fine. Um, I'm not too proud to take a sponsorship. Um, I think Lego can be a really, really good teaching tool, not just for STEM subjects, um but but for anything and it is kinesthetic it is touchy feely it is aesthetically satisfying you know the the children who like asmr will enjoy clicking the blocks into place because that sound that clicking sound activates whatever it is in some people that like asmr i personally am not a fan but i know that it's very very popular um, and particularly teenagers, they know about ASMR, they know um, about the, the YouTube channels, the TikTok accounts that, that put it forward. And so they will enjoy that that sound that makes it multi-sensory, it engages their brain, it helps in, in all sorts of ways. I've now just talked myself into finding where my little Lego bricks are and getting my board marker out a bit later so that I can get some set up, maybe for my year sevens and my year eights. Um, later on this week, but yeah, I am glad that Lego is kind of becoming increasingly intertwined with education, particularly for those children who perhaps can't afford Lego, because there is, and this is this is no slight on the Lego company at all, um, but there is the, the the stereotype that Lego is expensive. Um, you know, there are lots and lots of Lego kits that are very expensive and there are lots of children whose parents just can't afford to buy them Lego. So, again, it's something that if they have the opportunity to play with it in school, that's just something else that we are providing for them. It's a, it's a little extra um, that we are giving that perhaps they don't have the opportunity to use at home. And no one is too old for Lego. I am pretty sure that if I took my year 13... Um, French class, they would enjoy making sentence walls just as much as a reception class would. So you know let's let's get a little bit creative with it, shall we? Again, just to be clear, not sponsored, but I am open to sponsorship just saying. The whole thing about the the concrete is is quite scary, isn't it really? Um, Although my, bless him, my youngest nephew was visiting um, on Thursday uh, when the news broke and when I got home I asked him what his school was made out of and he asked me why. He's about to go into year six and I explained that, you know, some schools were having to close because they were made out of this concrete. Um, Did he think that his school would be one of them? (laughs) And he looked at me and he was like, no, my school's made out of bricks, Uh, which I thought was quite funny. But it is it is worrying that this is happening. It's worrying that it has only just been discovered um and again, I will just on on the timing. the timing is very, very bad, but I saw something yesterday where people were saying, Well, why was this not sorted during covid um and the fact of the matter is, as far as we know, this has only just been discovered as an issue um It is ironic. That has been discovered as an issue and school buildings are having to close um, as the government is having this drive on making sure that all children are in school all of the time, even if they are incredibly unwell. Um, So the timing of this, I find very, very funny. I'm not going to lie. But yeah, it is concerning, especially then coupled with what I read in the newspaper this morning about how certain meats that are being sold, uh, that are being served in school dinners have been found to contain carcinogens which can cause cancer. And I sat there, I tweeted this, so forgive me for those of you who follow me on Twitter and so I'm just repeating myself. But I sat in inset yesterday, rightfully, um, through the safeguarding update And our DSL was talking to us about how important safeguarding is, why it's important, you know, all of the stuff that we know that is so very important because we do have to keep our children safe. You know, we have a whole paper called Keeping Children Safe in Education. And one of the things that is always, always, always emphasized at at my school. Um, And and by all the DSLs, um, this is currently the third DSL in the 12 years that I've been at my school. And all three of them have said, you know, safeguarding is everybody's issue. It's everybody's job. It's not just for the safeguarding team, they're in inverted commas, it's not just for the teaching staff, it's grounds, it's maintenance, it's reception, it's cleaners, it's everybody. And that's very, very true. It is all of our jobs, those of us who come into contact with children every single day, like those of us who work in schools, it is our jobs to safeguard the children. But it is also the responsibility of the people who are providing services for those children to safeguard them. So the, the contractors, the companies that are being hired to make school buildings, it is their job to safeguard those children. It is their job to make sure that what they are doing is safe. The catering companies have a duty of care towards these children to make sure that what is being served is safe. And I'm not at all suggesting that the catering companies, that the... um the the builders, the construction companies, the people who have sold the bubbly concrete um, have done this on purpose. I am not suggesting that they have been neglectful Um, because I completely, completely believe that they did not know that this was happening, that this has only just been discovered. And a bit like with asbestos, where asbestos was everywhere, it was lauded as the best thing ever for insulation. Then we found it was carcinogenic, and so it started being taken out. You know, we, we respond to new information as it comes. But it is really important for all of us to remember that... Safeguarding our children is paramount. One of the reasons, although it has kind of got lost in in the reporting, one of the reasons that the government wants children to be in school, I'm choosing to believe, is because of safeguarding. Because we know that when children go missing from education, that is a safeguarding concern. We don't know what is happening to those children if they go missing from education. And so by encouraging attendance, even though I don't agree with encouraging 100% attendance because of self-care, because of what we're going to talk about today, um, you know, that is important. I do understand um, why that is happening and so we also, I' really sorry I lost my train of thought there, um, we also need to make sure that our children are being safeguarded in other ways. Uh, not just in the day-to-day, how they are being treated, how they are treating each other, but in the environment in which they are, the school environment um, in which they find themselves situated.
2: It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centered French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying.
1: Let us talk about self-care, which is what we are here to discuss today. Um, Action for Happiness has tweeted out, and I've retweeted it this morning, um, their Self-Care September 2023 bingo board, um, which I really like. If you haven't seen it, it has got one thing every day. It's set out a bit like a calendar. And there is one thing on it for you to do every day as a self-care activity. Today's, uh, so Saturday, September the 2nd, um, notice the things you do well, however small. So that is the self-care activity uh, that is being advocated for today. The reason that I bring it up is because I found yesterday's to be very, very interesting. um, Because it says, find time for self-care. It's not selfish, it's essential. And it's the the fact that we seem to feel the need to justify self-care that I find really interesting. Um, And it's that word selfish that I find really interesting. So, of course, as you all know, if you are long-term friends of the show, I am a linguist. um, And so whenever I am intrigued by the use of a word, my very first thing that I do is I look up the etymology of it, particularly if I've never thought to do that before. So I looked up the etymology of the word selfish, Um, it is exactly as you would guess, it's the word self and then it's the um, ish adjectival word forming element. Um, The the ish is interesting, the ish in English um, comes from the Old English ish, um, which meant um, stemming from or in the country of and so selfish of course if you take it literally if you take it down to what it actually means by breaking the word up into its component parts the word selfish means something that comes from the self something that is native to the self something that originates in the self but what's interesting is that it seems to always have had negative connotations. Um, It comes from around the 1630s, so it's a relatively new word in terms of English. Um, We think the Presbyterians came up with the the concept, so there is a, a deep rooting there in this idea of religious shame. Uh, because of course Christianity is very much a a religion of doing things for others. Do unto others as you would have done unto you is the golden rule of Christianity. Um, it's the one saying around which the whole religion is built. So it's unsurprising that this idea of of selfishness of of focusing on things within the self would arise from a religious context and have a negative meaning due to its religious context. Um, It has always been synonymous with phrases such as self-seeking, which actually is older than selfish. Self-seeking comes from the 1620s. Um, Self-ended uh, that's from the 1640s. That's one that we don't use anymore, um, but that's from the noun self-end. And a self-end was a a thing that you owned, basically. It was a personal object. It was a private object. It was something that you had no intention of, of sharing, it was a self-end. Um, and self-full from the 1650s. So there seemed to be, in the, in the middle 1600s, there seemed to be this boom in language talking about what people were doing for themselves, about how people were keeping things themselves, and it was pejorative, it was negative, kind of this this whole way through. And again, I find that really interesting. I find it fascinating that in English we have this idea that, that that selfishness is bad that doing things for yourself that things coming from yourself that not putting other things first is is bad is negative and of course we can argue that it's not we can argue that it is that's always 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 going to come down to personal opinions personal philosophies that's always going to come down to you but i do find it fascinating then that whenever we talk about self-care, there is always that immediate justification of it's not selfish, it's necessary. As if doing something for yourself, taking care of yourself is the worst possible thing that you can do. Because actually, if you think about it, self-care is selfish. Self-care is saying, right now, I'm going to prioritize myself above everybody else. I'm going to prioritize what I need above what you need. But it's not a bad thing. And I think somewhere along the line, we do have to just accept that sometimes we are going to do things for ourselves not necessarily at the expense of other people, but that might stop us from being as available to other people as they might want us to be. And that's just how we live. And then, yes, you know, I'm being pedantic and saying, you know, oh, do we need to take away the stigma of being selfish? And maybe we don't, you know, maybe we can start taking this term self-care seriously and we can start talking about how things are self-caring rather than selfish. Um, but I do think we need to stop justifying it, strangely, because I think the constant justification, I think that, that impulse, that compulsion to say, don't worry, self-care isn't selfish, it's something that you have to be doing, I almost think that makes it worse. Because it's putting into people's minds that it can be seen as selfish. Whereas if you just say self-care is something that's necessary and you frame it in a positive way, then you are automatically making it a positive thing. So that's what we're doing here today. We are looking at self-care positivity. We are leading the self-care positivity train. Now this is not to say that we are advocating selfishness. This is not to say that we are advocating only doing for yourself and not doing for others. I don't think anybody who would listen to this show, given that if you're listening to this show, I have to assume that you are a teacher um, or you work with children or for children in some capacity, we know that we can't do everything for ourselves because we have responsibilities to these children that we look after. So I don't need to qualify it. But, you know, we are not being selfish. We are looking after ourselves and I'm not going to do the whole, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup analogy because that's everywhere in self-care discourse. And again, it's true, but I'm not sure that we should always frame self-care in this idea of it will make you better for other people. Sometimes you can just do things for yourself. Sometimes you can just do something as long as it doesn't harm somebody else, because it's what you need to do for your life. And again, I think in this need to to de I was gonna make up a word then self-care. Uh, We often try and frame it in other people, you know, we often try and say, you need to look after yourself so that you can look after the children in your class. You need to look after yourself so that you can look after the, the, the colleagues you manage. But actually, you just need to look after yourself because you are important. Because you as an individual person are important purely because you exist. We are all important just because we exist. Our importance is not determined by our transactional relationships with other people. Our importance is not um, defined by our relational relationships with other people. You are important because you exist. And it's funny how we say that to our students, we say that to our children, we say that to our pupils, however you define them, And yet, whenever it comes to justifying self-care, we always immediately bring it back to, I need to do this so that I can be the best for somebody else. When actually, you just need to be the best version of you, in my opinion. You may disagree, and if you do disagree, that is absolutely fine. If you are listening live on Podbean um, and you would like to text in, you can. Um, if you are listening elsewhere, or you are listening back on the replay, and you have something to say, you can always tweet me. Again, I am at Mr. D. Lester, or one word, M-R-D-L-E-S-T-E-R. I have my Twitter open, so I will respond to any tweets that come through um, throughout the rest of the show. Um, or if you are listening on the playback, so you're not live, um, I will respond to you as your tweets come in. So let's talk about now, then, now that we've decided, or I've decided, um, and hopefully you agree with me, that self-care is selfish, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, Maybe that self-care should be selfish, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Let's think about what it is. I was interested to see that the World Health Organization has a definition of self-care. Um, and, and my surprise at that was surprising because I realised that I had fallen into the kind of stereotype of self-care being, you know, bubble baths and squishy slippers and putting off your responsibilities. Um, you know, that kind, of, that kind of social media self-care that we see trotted around everywhere and is often used as a, as a justification for not doing something. Um, And so I was quite glad to be able to to interrogate my own prejudices there in terms of what I thought self-care was. But the the WHO's definition of self-care is very interesting to me. So it says, and I'm pulling this straight from their website, I will tweet out the link um, momentarily. It says self-care is the ability of individuals, families and communities to promote health, prevent disease, maintain health and cope with illness and disability with or without the support of a health worker. So the WHO, unsurprisingly, since they are the World Health Organization, centralises health in self-care. And I think that's really important because I think quite often the health aspect of self-care gets ignored. And as somebody who is an advocate for mental health and emotional health, I think it's very important for us to to frame self-care as a health-maintaining activity, as a health-building activity, um, as being As important to our own maintenance as anything else we might do because that also broadens out what we might call self-care because it means that we no longer have to think of self-care as being you know bubble baths and squishy slippers but we can remember that self-care is also our nutrition, our exercise All the stuff that quite often we um, don't want to do under the guise of self-care. And so we say, oh, I'm not going to have my salad. I'm going to have this massive pizza because of self-care. When actually, if you go by the WHO um, suggestions, the salad would be better self-care because that is better at promoting physical health. Although, we do have to think about mental health and emotional health as being equally important. It's like a triangle of importance here, with your three types of health. Uh, The WHO goes on to say that currently 3.6 billion people, so that's half of the world, 3.6 billion people lack access to essential health services. So... The WHO is recommending self-care intervention for every country and every economic setting, and they see this as a crucial way of getting universal health coverage, as promoting health to everybody, as keeping the world safe and as serving the vulnerable. Self-care recognizes individuals, the WHO says, as active agents in managing their own health care in areas including health promotion, disease prevention and control, self-medication, providing care to dependent persons, and rehabilitation, and that includes palliative care. So, if your child is sick, And they need to take the day off school in order to recover, even though that's going to affect their 100% attendance rate, that is self-care. That's also socially responsible because it means that they're not passing off their Covid, their flu, whatever it might be, to the 30 other kids in their class. So there are ways that self-care actually, if you still feel the need to justify self-care as being important for other people, there are still ways in which self-care is actively helpful, actively protective of other people, and is actually the least selfish thing that you can do. Self-care interventions are evidence-based, the WHO says, quality tools that support self-care. They include medicine, counselling, diagnostic and digital technologies, and formal or informal intervention of health workers. So again, the WHO takes a very physical health-centered approach to health care. And says that taking your medicine is self care. Whether that is an antidepressant, like I take every morning, whether that is a painkiller because you've got a headache, appropriate taking of medicines is a form of self care. It should also be noted here, particularly for those of you who work in boarding contexts, that not taking medicine can be seen as a form of self-harm. I was reading, I don't remember what I was reading, so I apologize to the author of the paper that I was reading, but about how people will um, not take paracetamol, not take ibuprofen, will not take painkillers, almost as a way of... Uh, almost because they believe that they should be in pain, because they don't believe that they are important enough to dull the ache. So, taking your medicine and taking appropriate medicine for whatever you are, um, for whatever you are feeling, is very important self care. Uh, Paul has texted in, good morning to you, really really glad to have you here. Um, As teachers we constantly put our self-care behind everything else. We will go into work when we are ill because it can be more of a hassle to be off than being in. Absolutely, absolutely. I've talked about this a lot with my colleagues over the last year um, about how it is a hassle to set cover work, it is a hassle, to make sure that you have got everything there for every class, when you could just go in, book a computer room, and just have them there yourself. It's also in many schools an inconvenience to your colleagues, because of course, with budgets being as they are, fewer schools are now getting in supply teachers and are using staff on free periods, staff who are not on their PPA to cover, And so by being ill, you are taking a free period away from a colleague. It's a real hassle being ill. And it's not like an office job where, and again, forgive me, those of you who've worked in offices, because I haven't. So I'm just working on on a stereotype here. But I would imagine that in an office job, if you're not feeling too well, you could probably go in, turn your computer on, sit at your desk and take it slow. And sort of interact with as few people as possible and just kind of survive the day whereas because of the performative nature of teaching teaching is a performance art you are standing up in front of an audience of the most critical people who exist children Um, we can't do that we we don't have that luxury and so we are always, when it comes to to physical illness and even mental illness, we are stuck in a a difficult place. And on the idea of, of mental illness and sick days, take them. I am guilty of, particularly before I got my depression, anxiety diagnosis, I was guilty of pushing through. And one of the things that I have done, particularly last academic year, was to recognize when my, particularly my depression, was a problem and I called in sick and I felt guilty about it because yes, physically I could get out of bed, it mentally was a struggle but I physically could have done it, you know, my legs were working I could have swung my hips around, put my feet on the floor and leveraged myself up. And I think as teachers, we quite often associate illness with being physically unable to do something. I can get into school, therefore I should go into school. But I think the best thing that I did for my own self-care last academic year was to understand that my mental health is as important as my physical health. And actually for me, as somebody who is generally physically healthy, I don't touch wood, I don't want any wood to hand to touch. Um, there we go, bookshelf, touch wood. I don't get physically ill very often. Um, I, I do have to put my mental health on that same pile, And so if I am in a depressive spiral, and it is bad enough, that I just can't face it, I will take that as me being ill and I will take a sick day. And and honestly, that's the best thing that I did for my own self-care last year, was to take my sick days. Um, my school, I will say, my school is incredibly supportive. Um, they always have been since I got my diagnosis and I went on to my antidepressants um, I've been very open with my school about it. I know that not everybody is comfortable being open about it um, particularly because there is still stigma attached to mental health and those of us who are working with children Um, but my school has been wonderful, they've been very understanding Um, I don't need accommodations made to my workload uh, but I do just take sick days when I need to take sick days and my school arranges the cover teacher just as it would be if I had you know broken my leg if I had COVID whatever it might be I set the the work or in in one instance where I couldn't my head of department set the work for me and you know they have been great they've been great at that I understand that not everybody is um is as lucky as I am and so I, I don't take that for granted. But shout out to my school for being very supportive. Uh, Paul has asked a question. Were you treated differently when they knew about your antidepressants? No. Interestingly, I was very honest with my school. Um, I actually kept my line manager informed all the way through the process. So what happened was... Um, We think I've always had depression and anxiety, I just didn't realise it. Because, of course, we assume that the way we are is how everybody is, particularly with internal thoughts and feelings. Um, And it was only when it got really, really bad around exam results day a few years ago that I realised that not everybody reacted to exam results in the way that I did. Uh, and as much as I hate the word, I sort of went to myself, this isn't normal. Uh, so I booked an appointment with my doctor and we talked things through um, and I got my diagnosis and it wasn't what I was expecting at all. Um, and so I then went to my line manager, who I am very friendly with, and he and I sat down and I explained that I'd been diagnosed. I like, explained that I'd been given a course of therapy. Um, and I kind of I explained that because we didn't at that point know when my sessions would be, so I was just like, right, I might need to take some time off, and I thought it was right to to warn them. Remember that if you are diagnosed with a mental health issue and you do need to take time off for therapy and stuff, you don't need just to disclose that. I just felt comfortable doing so. Um, good morning, Tom. You have texted in. Really glad, really glad to have you here with us this morning on what has turned into quite a heavy chat. Uh, not what I was expecting at all. I was expecting to be talking light and fluffy. Uh, let's all have ice cream for breakfast. Um. Oh, no, Paul has texted in say Thank you for being so open. Um, my pleasure. My pleasure. Like I said, I, I think I have decided that I won't let the stigma rule my life. Because for me, um, it does get bad, it can get bad, and I don't want a stigma around mental health to compound that, to make it worse. And I don't want other people to feel the same way that I feel. So I think if we can start these conversations as educators, we can show people that actually, just because we have anxiety and depression, or um, obsessive compulsive disorder, or whatever mental health issue it might be, does not mean that we are a danger. It just means that we're ill in the same way as we get COVID, as the same way as we break legs, um, and you know we can find ways to treat that. So I went through my my therapy journey. This was before I started medication. Um, and again, I was, I was very open with my line manager at this point, only my line manager. Um, so he knew, and actually my head of department at my prep school knew, uh, but they were the only people that I told. Uh, and again, that was just in case I needed um, absence permission to attend therapy sessions. As it turned out, I didn't, because I was able to, to book my therapy for, for lunch times, so that was really helpful. Um, I did that for about a year. Um, and I realized it was working and it was really good but it wasn't everything that I needed and so when I kind of came to the end of my therapy cycle and I still didn't feel like I was ready to go out on my own I spoke to my doctor again Um, and at that point She was like, okay, we're going to try you on sertraline. So that's the antidepressant that I take. Um, And I was like, oh, okay. And I knew very little about antidepressants at that point. And so I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know how it was going to affect me. Um, I didn't know anything. So it was at that point that I started being open with people higher up the chain. So I went to... um, I went to my line manager, um, again, because he knew what had been going on. He knew um, about how I'd been struggling. And, and I just kind of, to him, I just explained it as this is the next step in my, uh, in my treatment. But I want you to know because I, I want somebody to keep an eye on me. And I trusted my line manager that if my medication was adversely affecting me and I didn't realize, he would step in. Um, And I kind of trusted him to do that. And it was for that same reason that I also went to HR um, and I explained to them uh, what was going on. And I sort of said, you know, I'm I'm being put on these antidepressants, um, I've I've read through all of the side effects. They're all physical. Um, so so it should be fine um, you know, but I just want to be open with you so that we can make sure that that we are doing what is best for me and what is best for the children. Um, I also then spoke to the, the the deputy heads who are in charge of cover arrangements. Um, and again, I will remind you that you are not obliged to talk to all of these same people that I talked to. Um, I just, again, in, in my school environment, I felt safe to, um, I felt happy to. So I spoke to them because I sort of said, I'm, I've am i got this diagnosis, I'm now going on this medication, which um, might have these physical side effects, so I might need to be off school. And I just want to be honest with you about why I might need to ask for some sick leave. Um, and again, they were really, really supportive. I did feel the need to justify myself, interestingly, despite the fact that I had been very open with my line manager this whole time. Um, and, and I had kind of come to terms with with my depression anxiety diagnosis. I remember putting in, in both emails, one to the senior um, school and one to the prep school, that because we think I'd always had depression and anxiety, we didn't think there would be any change to my practice because it's just how i had always been you know the diagnosis didn't make me different it just explained the ways that i've been feeling so if there have been no issues with my practice up until that point there shouldn't really be any going forward just because i had a diagnosis Um, and again you know massive shout out to them they were both brilliant Um, i had replies from both of them um, and it was actually very similar email, so I assume they liaised. Um, and they both asked my permission to tell the head teachers of each site. So the way my school is, is structured is that we have a head of our senior school who is also the head of our school system as a whole. Uh, and then the prep school also has a separate head teacher who is responsible for the running of the prep school. Um, and so both of those people have been notified. Um, and and I was happy with that. I believe that if I had said no, I would rather you didn't. That would have been respected. Um, but again, you know, at this point, two of my line managers knew, um, HR knew. Now these two um, deputy heads knew. I it was fine with me if two other people knew. Um, and actually, what I have found is that being open with them has been much easier than if I were having to lie about why I was taking time off. Um, it's not widely known at my school. Um, I I will be honest, I do sometimes lie to people, uh, particularly people that I haven't told. So, you know, if I've taken a sick day and someone has noticed and then when I come back they say, oh, you know, I. Are you feeling better? What was wrong? I would just be like, "Oh yeah, I had you know stomach issues. I had really bad headache. Whatever it might be." So I do protect my own privacy around people that I don't think need to know. Um, but the people that I have told have all been very very supportive. Um, I'm I'm very very lucky, and I don't take that for granted. Um, so sorry, Paul. That was a very long answer to your question. <laughs> But uh, but in short, no. <laughs> I I so far have not been treated any differently um after they knew that I'd gone onto my medication. No, you're absolutely right. Pull this text in to say, um, that's fair because you don't always want to go into the whole thing. And 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 no, you don't. You don't. Um it's funny that you don't, because you know, if you've broken a leg, you can't hide that. So in some ways that is a privilege, you know, because if someone has broken their leg and they don't want to talk about it, they don't really have that option, they don't have that out. Whereas those of us who have um, difficulties with our mental health, we do have that ability to mask, to hide if we want to, if we can. Um, But no, it's been interesting. What I have also found um, is that there have been some instances where I have shared it with children, um, where they have come to me uh, because they felt safe or I was their pastor or tutor, whatever it might be. They've come to me and said, sir, I think I might be depressed, what should I do? Um, I've been able to be open with them and say, oh, well, actually I know exactly where you're coming from because I felt the same way and this is what I did. And then when I, when I did the safeguarded report for those children, You know, obviously I reported the whole conversation. I explained that I opened up about my own struggles. But I think that they appreciated that. Because I think sometimes some of the stigma around mental health is still that you can't have issues surrounding your mental health and succeed. And hopefully, I have shown that that is not necessarily the case because you can have these struggles and you can still go into a a very demanding very high profile job um, and cope. And and I think it's good for our students to see that. Again, I'm not suggesting that every teacher needs to be very open about their mental health with their students. I don't walk into every classroom and say, good morning children, I have depression. Because that's not appropriate, they don't need to know, I'm their Chinese teacher. (laughs) But if it is pertinent, if it is relevant, Um, If it is a way that I can either empathize, sympathize or challenge something that's going on, um, then I'm, I'm quite happy to do that. But again, not everybody needs to. Not everybody likes to show off as much as I do. And so if you are listening to this and you are struggling, maybe you've just gone to antidepressants yourself and you're not sure what to do do what is best for your mental health safeguard yourself i would suggest telling hr um again just as a safeguarding process so that if you do have to start taking lots of time off if for example you do um get a lot of side effects from your medication there is something um to explain why um but again you don't have to You don't have to. It is entirely your journey. It is entirely up to you. But this is why this topic of self-care is really important to me, because I was one of those teachers who was just like, no, I need to put the children first. Um, No, I need to make sure that I am not imposing on my colleagues. Until the day that I sat down and I went, actually, lots of people can do my job. It doesn't need to be me standing in front of my class. A supply teacher who speaks Chinese is just as good at this as I am. And so they can go ahead and do it. And that's okay. Uh, Tim has texted in. Thank you for having this conversation. You're very welcome. You are very welcome. Uh, Tom has texted in. I'm assuming, Tom, since you've texted it, you don't mind me uh, reading out what you've said. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, So Thomas said that he also took uh, sertraline from 2015 to 2017 and then 2019 to 2022 and is still on a therapeutic dose of 25 um, MGs. So it's there are more of us than you think. And I think that's the other thing um, that I want to get across is that sometimes because people don't talk about it, And again, this is the reason, I suppose, why I've now done my little mini monologue on on depression and anxiety. Um, Because we don't talk about it, you don't know who else is suffering. I don't know if there's anybody else in my school who is on the same medication as me. There could well be. The statistics suggest that there are. I know that there was somebody, um, but that teacher has since retired. Um, But right now I don't. And it can feel quite isolating and it can make you feel like there is something wrong with you worse than what is actually wrong. Um, And so I think if more people were willing to talk about it. I think if we made it so that it felt just as safe to talk about being on sertraline as it is to talk about being on insulin for diabetes or any other medication that you may have to take daily, then not only would the stigma start to fade, but the the loneliness that can come, the isolation that can come, from suffering from these sorts of things because it feels like you're the only one uh, that could go to. I am not suggesting now that that after this I give Tom a ring and we talk about sertraline, uh, you know, and we start bonding over our um, our shared medication experiences because there are more important things, there are more interesting things to talk to people about. But just knowing that there are other people in the same boat can be Therapeutic. People are social. You know, we are social creatures. And as those of us who teach teenagers know, the idea of belonging to a group is important. The idea of not being outside of the herd is important. Um, and we are a little herd, those of us who suffer with depression and anxiety, um, which will be most people. At some time in their lives for some people it will be a short stint and just going through you know they might have a an adverse life experience they go through it they fall into a depression they fall into an anxiety spiral and going through therapy for a year like I did that's enough and it helps them for others like me it's a physical thing. It's physiological, you know, I have a chemical imbalance in my brain in the same way that some people have an insulin imbalance. In the same way that I had a, a suspicious mole behind my ear that I had to have removed and sent off for, for analysis. Um, and so I need to be on it for a little bit longer. And that's also okay. Um, Paul says the difficulty can come from the reasons behind the initial need for medication or time off. If it's something people can relate to, then you may be more likely to get support from others. That's true. That's true. I think if it's a situational need, um, if you have gone through a divorce, if your job is in danger because you know your your numbers are low, if you have suffered a bereavement, then yeah, because people understand that um, you're you're absolutely right. And so you're more likely to get the support. Whereas if you go to your line manager, if you go to HR, if you go to a deputy head, if you go to one of your friends in the staff room and you say, oh, well, actually my brain just doesn't work the same as everybody else's. I don't absorb dopamine as quickly as everybody else. Um, my chemicals are a little bit off. There's no way that you can explain that that that's going to make somebody else understand because it it plays with your perception of the world and it is you know for as, for as empathetic as we want to be it is very very difficult to um to to understand how somebody sees the world completely and utterly and you know most people have been through a breakup even if not a divorce most people have lost a job or know somebody who has lost a job and so there's that empathy that kicks in whereas because not everybody has had chemical imbalances that does make that empathy a bit more difficult and then if you're not somebody who wants to talk about it and you know the person who covered for you comes in and and you know they come and do a a debrief and they're just like um are you okay, what's wrong, and you don't want to talk about it, that can also create that barrier. And so that is really difficult, because again, you don't have to. You don't have to talk about it. Um, And I don't know what the answer for that is, to be completely honest, Um, unless we just start a culture of not having that debrief, of just somebody has been off, and, and you wait for them to share why, if they want to share. But then we show empathy for other people by asking if they're okay. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer to that is. Um, apart from having conversations like this, uh, which is absolutely not a conversation I was planning on having today, but it's all good. Um, being open about these things so that we can remove the stigma so that we can make it more um, relevant to our everyday lives um, so that we can have the conversation and we feel comfortable doing so. I'm just gonna Google. Um, See, you are now getting a, a behind the scenes look at how the Saturday Morning Breakfast Show works. It's basically me Googling loads of stuff. So I've got things to talk about. Um, so because I haven't prepped for this, I am just going to Google what the stats are for depression, and anxiety. How many people suffer depression? I think Tommy might want to cut this bit out um, on the replay um, unless unless people find behind the scenes interesting. Uh, how many people suffer depression and anxiety? Now, I'm going to be honest. I was told this yesterday in our mental health first aid briefing, and I don't remember. Um, So again, World Health Organization, uh, we are loving them today on the show. Uh, Globally, an estimated 5% of adults suffer from depression. Uh, More women are affected by depression than men, um, which is, is interesting, particularly as I am here again as a man talking about depression. So that is another stigma. Um, that I don't particularly want to get into right now because we haven't got time. Um, but there is that kind of, of machoism of, I will just push through. I will just get over it. I'm just feeling a bit sad today. Um, and, and so, you know, sometimes I think male teachers will attempt to downplay how they are feeling Uh, more than female teachers even, just because of how we are socialized according to our gender. So, yeah, it says the WHO says estimated 3.8 percent of the population experiences depression, including 5 percent of adults. That's 4 percent of men and 6 percent of women and 5.7 percent of adults older than 60 years. Approximately 280 million people worldwide have depression. So. Let's assume, just to make the maths easy, because I'm a words man, not a numbers man, that you've got 100 teachers in your school or a 100 adult staff members in your school, let's say, ground staff, maintenance staff, office staff, all included. Five of those people are likely to suffer from depression. So you, if you are one of them, and four others. And again, I'm not saying that you need to seek them out. I'm not saying that you need to start a little depression club but it is important for you to know that you are you are not on your own and you know the more of us who are comfortable to speak out about these things the the less on your own you will feel uh tim says i am loving this discussion today and actually interestingly and i don't know what this says about the demographics of my show but it is interesting that you know we are talking about how more women suffer from mental health issues than men, but actually everybody who has texted in to either offer a story or ask a question has been male identifying, I'm assuming. I probably shouldn't assume that, but that is what I'm assuming right now. Uh, But Tim has texted in saying going back to what you said about being able to thrive while having mental illness diagnosis, that's critical I think. While the stigma has absolutely broken down, there's still so much around. I've read many commentators suggesting one can't have depression and laugh or be funny, um, or you can't really have anxiety and do things that make you feel uncomfortable. Self-care for me there has been disengaging from that dialogue for a while. Um, I'll share my truth on those things when I'm ready. Absolutely. You never need to talk about things until you're ready. And sometimes you're not ever ready. And that's okay. Like we say to our kids, you know, sometimes you might not want to talk about it. And and that's all right. So long as the conversation is being had somewhere. And so long as there are places that you think you can go, if you do want to talk about it, that's all okay. But you're right. And interestingly, the idea about having depression you can't have depression and laugh or be funny is an interesting one. Uh, and I was having this conversation with somebody earlier this week because we know that's absolutely not true. A lot of comedians are very open about the fact that their humor has come from masking how they were feeling. If we were to take a, a an actual example, you know Robin Williams was making films. He was cracking jokes, he was doing stand-up, right up until the end. And, and we now know how badly he was suffering. So actually, people, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that people who are suffering with depression perhaps try to be funny more often than if they weren't because they're using that as a mask. And so I think actually is completely the wrong perception there uh, because humour is often used. Again, especially among men. I read this somewhere quite recently. I'm, I'm currently writing a, um, a doctoral essay on gender presentation within teaching. So I've been doing a lot of reading around, around gender lately. Um, and I read somewhere that there is something within what we might term male brains that wants to be funny. So men want to be seen as being funny. They want to be perceived as being funny. And so I think that if you have a mental illness that you are trying to mask because you don't want other people to know, you don't want to be having those conversations and people telling you you're funny makes you feel good about yourself then using humor to mask is the best way to do it because that's almost a form of self-care because you are seeking out that dopamine here to somebody saying oh that was really funny and that's going to make you feel better because you don't have to be feeling it to crack a joke you don't have to be feeling it to laugh people laugh at my unfunny jokes all the time just to be polite So, yeah, I think we do need to break down that idea of um, people who have depression are sullen and miserable uh, because that's that's absolutely not true. And and again, you know, people who have anxiety can do things. I have anxiety and I perform on stage. I have anxiety and I sit here talking to all of you on the radio. Every Saturday morning, I have anxiety and I go and I stand in front of my students. Because the way anxiety manifests for me has nothing to do with performance. Performance for me actually is very therapeutic. It's a very positive thing. So anxiety is different for different people. And so you can't say, I, I have seen this week a, um, an influencer critiqued because he is on pip he's on benefits for his anxiety Um, and yet he produces youtube videos and i've seen lots of people saying oh you know he should be investigated for benefit fraud because how has he got anxiety and is being on youtube um and you kind of want to go well no because that's not how it works you don't know what his anxiety triggers are Perhaps he records his videos in a batch on the day when he's feeling well and uploads them because this is his job. And then he feels badly afterwards. Perhaps he is masking because being on social media is his job. And he feels really rubbish and just puts himself to bed once he stops recording. You know, we don't know. You don't know what somebody else's life is like. And... and. Yeah, I do quite often think these sweeping statements about mental health is um, are very harmful, uh, and they do stop real progress being made. But what is quite good is that our young people are more aware of mental health issues than ever, um, because we have gone through this period of of them being discussed all over social media. You know, mental health issues for a while became the, um, the the trendy things to have. A bit like how you know, back in the in the nineties, everybody had irritable bowel, um, everybody had chronic fatigue. Uh, these these illnesses go through through trends, and and we've had that. You know, we've seen in the past five years, everybody had depression, everybody had anxiety. Um, Everybody has ADHD. That's the the one right now that I'm noticing. And, you know, say what we like about these things. You know, people are self-diagnosing. They're taking the smallest of traits and saying, oh, this means that I've got disease X, Y, and Z. I've got illness X, Y, and Z. It is at least raising awareness. It is at least opening up those conversations. And then, you know, for people who have like i said a a short-term situational depression and have then brought themselves out of it they did have that that was their experience they lived through it and then they came out the other side for some of us because of the way our brains work there might not be a come out of it the other side and so our self-care i'm going to change the title of this show for when the, the recording goes out, because it's not really about self-care anymore. Um, we'll do that one next week. Um, you know, But our self-care might be just accepting that this is the way our brains work and making the accommodations that we need to make so that we can still thrive, so that we can still live. Um, and you know, no one should be told, oh, your illness is not really that bad just because they're able to live their lives. You wouldn't say to somebody, oh, your leg can't be that broken because you're on crutches it's like well no they've still got a broken leg it's not a competition that's such a a a cliche these days isn't it um but it isn't a competition one person's illness doesn't affect somebody else's you you know it's not let's see who can be more or less ill than somebody else it's definitely not let's see who can be more ill than somebody else but still Um, get a 100% attendance badge and use that as some kind of trophy of honour because that's harmful in lots and lots of ways it's just let's all try our best to live the very best lives that we can lead um, to try and be role models to people if that's how we feel called to be try and be inspirational to others if that's how we feel called to be or just try and be a good person and lead a happy life because I think ultimately that is what anybody wants is is just to be happy and so by taking care of your mental health in the same way that you would take care of your physical health um, that is that is how you can do that that is how we would like to be I think that is where we will call it a day thank you so much um thank you to Paul thank you to Tom thank you to Tim um, or for your contributions today, for the questions that you've asked, for your own honesty, for your own openness, it is much appreciated. Um, these conversations are important. I, I I don't pretend that I understand mental health. I'm looking at my bookshelves um, and I've got all of the books on depression because in the same way about an hour ago, I said that, um, that when I want to talk about something, my my first instinct as a linguist is to look up the etymology of the word. And so we talked about the etymology of that word, selfish. When I need to, to learn about something, my instinct as a bookworm is just to buy all the books. Uh, so I'm looking at all the books that I've got on depression, on anxiety, and I still don't know. I still don't really understand. I'm not a doctor. Um, I will be in a few years, just not that kind of doctor. Um, just dropping that in there, because I like to um so i i i don't know i don't know all i can do is speak from my own experience and hope that maybe it resonates with somebody else uh i'm not going to cure anybody i'm not going to magically make somebody else's life better just because i've got depression and anxiety but if i can make that conversation easier for somebody if somebody who doesn't have it can listen to my story and understand it a little bit better then i think i've done my job i think i've done my job what's interesting in my own thought press process right now is there is a little bit a little niggle in the back of my head going do we actually want to to make this available as a podcast given that i have been probably more open about my struggle on the show than i have been before and it's not like i've been i've been closed off about it before do i want this rendered for posterity and that is still about those social implications you know the idea that if somebody finds out you have a mental health issue it might limit your job prospects So even I, as someone who advocates for talking about these things, even I still feel those societal pressures sometimes. So if you feel them as well, don't worry. Um, We are gonna release this as a podcast because this is an important conversation and I am happy to lead this conversation. I don't really believe that this will limit my career prospects. I believe that we are told that that's something that could happen but i don't believe that could happen in reality um, and i don't think the british education system is going to let me down in this way thank you thank you for all of you who have interacted today thank you to all of you who have listened i understand that this is not an, this has not been an easy show to listen to i'm sure because it is quite heavy um a quite heavy topic but look after yourselves as Many of you are getting ready to go back to work on Monday. I've already done my two inset days. We have our kids coming in on Monday. Um, Look after yourself. Know that you are important. And yeah, maybe self-care is selfish, but let it be. Let it be. Because not everything has to be about somebody else. Your self-worth is not defined by how you can be used by, how you can be useful to somebody else. You are important just because you exist and that means you need to take care of yourself. I will be back next week um, because I am not teaching next Saturday Um, so I will be back then. Let me know On Twitter, what you would like. We can either do the self care show that I have planned today, um, or we can do the show on the history of childhood that I have planned for next week. Let me know which one you think is more pressing, um, and I will prepare that for you. In the meantime, do stay tuned to all the amazing stuff that we have on offer here on Teachers Talk Radio across the week. We've got some great new hosts, and of course, some wonderful, wonderful. old voices and i am already very excited to come back and see you at nine o'clock next saturday morning thank you all ever so much have a great rest of the weekend good luck for for next week and i'll speak to you all soon
0: goodbye you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org